Well, good morning and Happy New Year. It's good to see each of you here. I'm grateful that you've chosen to worship at Wynn Baptist Church today. And I hope that you've come expecting that God's going to speak to you and, and answer the cry of your heart as you enter into a new calendar year. The title of this morning's message is How to Make Every Turning Point a Triumph. How to Make Every Turning Point a Triumph. And this year you'll have plenty of them. Our passage today is going to be Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. So if you want to be turning there, you'll be able to follow along in just a moment. Before we begin, I want to ask a question. As you think back over this past year, how many of you wish you could do something over again? Anybody? There's one, one of the staff. Okay. <laughs> Brother Wimberly, he has one in his mind. He raised his hand. Oh, that's great. The only ones that messed up. <laughs> um, I think all of us would, as we look over last year, have specific things we would do differently, things that if we get, were given the opportunity, we would have a do-over. The problem comes is when you and I begin to think that God is particularly consumed with those past things. Uh, one of the things that will make this year very hard for you is if you walk around thinking that God is is particularly focused on the mistakes that you made in 2015. When the truth is, God is far more concerned about your future than he is about your past. And so today we want to think about what's coming and what lies ahead. And I want you, for the next few minutes at least, to be very, very serious about the next 12 months of your life because you're going to be faced with decisions and temptations and they're going to they're gonna come at you at different times and in different ways. But they're not all going to affect you the same way. And some of those things are going to be incredibly important in terms of the rest of your life. I want to ask a question. Is, um, those of you who are Bible scholars, I don't think this will be too hard, though, for most of us. When God brought his people out of Egypt... What did he promise to give them? Anybody? What were they looking forward to receiving? A promised land. A promised land. And, and yet the first generation did not receive that promised land. God had promised it, promised it for generations. But there was a generation that missed it. They did not receive that promised land. And so today I want us to focus on what, what went wrong and look at that as a turning point and learn from it. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, this is what we read. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him, as commandments to them. And so Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, the word uh, deuter means um, second. And onomas, or onomy, the Latin part of that at the end, means law. And it's describing the second giving of the law. And so in a sense, something is happening for the second time when you come to the book of Deuteronomy. And, and they are at the entrance to the promised land. 
But it's not the first time they've been there. It's the second time. And before they go into the promised land, Moses gives again the story of how they got there. And he gives them direction in the law once again. The question is, how did this happen? What went wrong? Why is this the second time? Why is this happening again? Well, you see it in the text in verse 2. The writer, Moses, says, you know, if you go by Mount Seir, from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea is only an 11-day journey. And then in the very next verse, he says, now in the 11th month of the 40th year, it took 40 years to go 11 days. Something is wrong with that. And maybe you feel like it's taking you 40 years to make an 11-day journey. I don't know. But what happened at that moment, the reason one generation took 40 years to accomplish what could have happened in only 11 days is because they had reached a turning point in their life. And turning points are different from the other moments of your life and my life. Uh, Your life can be summarized as a series of turning points. You can tell me your life story, at least that the story that's interesting to you and to me, as a series of turning points. You wouldn't want to watch a movie or read a book where all the turning points were taken out of it. It would be kind of boring. And so when you read the Scripture and you read about these biblical people who lived in ancient times, their stories tend to be the sum of a series of turning points. And that's why in a few verses they can tell you everything that you need to know about a man. Everything that you need to know about a particular woman is summed up as a series of turning points. And so let me define turning points based on that that particular insight in Scripture in this way. Turning points are decisive and divinely appointed moments that first occur infrequently. They don't occur every day. If it did, it'd take more than the Bible to contain all your turning points. They don't happen very often. That's why they're called turning points. And, uh, and, and, and we should approach every decision, every battle, every temptation. We ought, to, we ought to approach those things seriously. But not every decision is a turning point. They don't occur frequently. Secondly, turning points affect the trajectory of your life. Again, that's why they're so significant. That's why they're so important. That I'm, I'm at a moment in my life where if I go this way, Or if I go this way, it makes a dramatic difference in the overall result or consequence of my life. What I become, what I do, what my life means, whether it counts as much as it could have counted. All these things can be boiled down to a turning point. And so they're extremely serious. And then the third feature of the definition is this, turning points hinge on a choice you must make. It's your choice. It's your decision. God doesn't make you do something in that moment. You're presented an opportunity. You're presented a decision. And that choice is real. My fear is that sometimes we don't know how to navigate those turning points. We don't know how to take them seriously. When when we're presented with a major life choice or recognizing that something I'm about to do is going to have major consequences down the road. When I'm presented with that, do I know how to navigate that decision? Do I know how to go through that moment in my life? You're going to have one this year, more than likely. 
you're going to encounter one of those moments. Are you prepared? How to successfully navigate the turning points of your life. Let me give you four observations from this incident in the life of the Hebrew people. Number one, be clear on what God is saying to you. Be clear on what God is saying to you. You know, God speaks in many different ways. We talk about that a lot here at Wim Baptist Church. We talk about it in our Bible study groups. Uh, we talk about it here on the platform in this room. And God speaks through a variety of means. And part of our assignment as a church is to equip and disciple people so that they can receive direction from the Lord Jesus, so that they can follow him. And, and when you and I come to a place where we have a turning point, the most important thing for me in that moment is what is God saying? Now look at Deuteronomy 1 verse 19. As Moses tells the story, we gain a sense of where God is in this moment, and he's talking about 40 years ago when the first generation failed. Here's what he says. So we departed from Horeb, verse 19, and went through all that great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord our God had commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh Barnea, and uh, that is such a pivotal place. And you may want to underline that or circle that. It's just a very significant place. We came to Kadesh Barnea. That is the line between wandering for 40 years and receiving the promised land. Kadesh Barnea. It's the doorway to what God has in mind for you, God's best for you. Or it can be the turning point where you miss something that God had for you at that moment. Kadesh Barnea. Verse 20. And I said to you, You have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Now this was a word from the Lord. This was a word from God. And when you have a decision That's the thing you want the most. If you want to get everything that God has in mind for your life, you want to discern what is God saying to me in this moment. And if you don't know, I would would hold up. I would slow down. I would do everything that I could to withhold a decision. And believe me, if I didn't know what God's will was, I would rather not do it. I just back away from it. Y'all do what you want to. You know? You want to know what God is doing. God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. The stakes are incredibly high. Don't be careless in that moment. Don't be so casual about your decisions. Don't be so flippant. It doesn't matter. Uh, I can always go get a do-over. Not so. Some of us in the room have lived long enough to know you don't always get a do-over. There are consequences to the things that we choose. And so knowing that the stakes are high, knowing that it makes the difference between 11 days to what God has in mind for me or 40 years, knowing that it's that serious, I need to discover what is the will of God. This is your anchor, and that becomes your anchor in a crazy world of opinions and, and, and broadcasts and social media rants or whatever else you're reading. 
and all these confusing messages and things that people are saying and doing around you, when you know what God wants you to do, when you know his will in this particular decision, it becomes your anchor point. And that's what you want. So as you determine the will of God in a given situation, and this is not a message on particularly how to determine the will of God. He certainly speaks through his word. If I'm planning to do something and his word says, don't do that, I have a word from God. You see, I mean, that's really helpful at that point. Uh, There are other times where I need to surround myself with men and women of God who are godly counselors, who, who have spent a lifetime seeking to understand and know him and learn his ways. And I need to seek godly counsel. Uh, They might be your parents. They might be your pastors. They might be your Sunday school teachers. They might just simply be good friends, older men, older women who have walked with God. And and you might seek them and say, hey, I'm trying to sort this out. They're not going to be able to tell you absolutely what God wants. Don't go to them as the voice of the Holy Spirit. But you can certainly go to them and hear the Holy Spirit through what they tell you. And so seek out godly counsel. God gives us the church. The church was his idea. He gave his life for the church. He loves the church. And through through that church that God has surrounded around you, he's going to speak. He speaks through his word. He speaks through godly counsel. He speaks in prayer. There are those moments where God speaks directly to your heart and intuitively through the flow of thoughts in your mind, you know God is speaking to you. And then there are obviously circumstances, open doors of opportunity, closed doors of opportunity, and you can reach conclusions sometimes about the will of God through the very circumstances themselves. But this is not a sermon about that. What I want you to know is as you navigate those very serious turning points in your life, you want to know the will of God. Write it down. Keep some kind of a journal. Write it in your Bible. Put a date by it. God said, God said, to my heart, and make a note of it. Secondly, how to successfully navigate the turning points of your life. Number two, prepare for a fight against fear and discouragement. Prepare for a fight against fear and discouragement. You know, in verse 21, he says, uh, God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. And then look at the last part of verse 21. Do not fear or be discouraged. Why does he say that? Because you're about to be in a situation where you can become fearful or discouraged. And obviously that was the threat that they were going to face. Moses anticipated it. He cautioned the people. And what you need to know is that every time you set your heart to do God's will, you will be opposed because you and I live in a world of conflict. We talked about it last Sunday, how to live in a war zone. And spiritually, there's a battle uh, all around your life and your home and your family. It's, it's raging in this room. There's a spiritual conflict and battle taking place. And because of that, when you've set your heart to do what God wants you to do, you have taken sides. And the moment you do that, you become a target for the enemy. And one of the great ways he likes to distract you from following the Lord is through fear and through discouragement. So when it happens, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Well, right after Moses said this, they came up with a plan to send 12 men, a representative from each of the 12 tribes, 
to go and spy out the land. Now, the passage, in addition to Deuteronomy 1, if you want to read about this further, and I would encourage you to do it, is found in Numbers 13 and 14. And so you might just jot that out to the side. But if you go back and read that, you'll get the whole story. And they decided, and, and God blessed this, and this was, this was not a bad thing, that they were going to send 12 spies into the promised land. For what purpose? They were sending them to find out how to go into, militarily speaking, into the promised land. Where was going to be their starting point? How were they going to go in and fight the battles that needed to be fought? And so the 12 men went into the promised land, and it was an amazing experience. They saw truly that it was a land flowing with milk and honey. That was, that was everybody agreed on that. All 12 men agreed. And, and they saw what the land consisted of, and, and they saw people, and they saw cities, and they actually went to one valley, and there were these massive uh, branches and bundles of fruit, and they put it on their shoulders. It was so big and so heavy, and they carried it back to share it with everybody. And then as the men came back to the camp, it was never a question about whether they were going to go into the promised land. It was a question about how they were going to go into the promised land. But everything changed because 10 of those men came to the people of God and they said, these cities, they're really scary. The people who live in them, they're more of them than there are of us. There are giants in the land. And we can't do this. And they gave what was characterized later in Scripture an evil report. Two men, the spokesman was Caleb, the other one was Joshua. Two men spoke up and they said, we can do this. We just need to get up and go. We can do this. How did the people react to the minority report and to the majority report? In verses 28 and 29, as Moses tells the story, here's what they said. Where can we go up? Our brethren had discouraged our hearts. See that word discouraged? Saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. You think that was a little bit of an exaggeration? Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there, and they were giants, very large people. Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. This is Moses basically saying to them, I told you not to be discouraged or afraid. I told you that when you chose to do God's will, you were going to be faced with a choice, and there was going to be a battle, and it's going to be a battle with fear, anxiety, discouragement. Fear, we've talked about it here before, but you need to know that dozens and dozens of times in the Scripture, we are told to fear nothing except God. It is a fear of the Lord that's the beginning of what? Wisdom. And the reason we are given such strong prohibitions against fear is because fear has a way 
of focusing all of our mental energy, all of our emotional thoughts and feelings, focusing everything on the thing that we are afraid of. And it's like worship because of that. And because fear is like worship, he says, don't be afraid of anybody or anything. I want you to focus all your attention on me, he says. That's what the Lord is saying to you when you've sensed that fear over being obedient to what God is saying. And so Moses says, I told you, you're going to have to fight fear. And I told you, you're going to have to fight discouragement. And the word that's used here describes the melting of wax, the melting of the heart in the face of a challenge. And whatever resolve they had, whatever courage they had, just melted away like a stream of hot wax. And that's the effect that discouragement had on them. Now I want you to notice in verse 28 the source of the fear and discouragement. And it says in verse 28, our brethren have discouraged our hearts. It wasn't the people in the promised land, the enemies. It was the brothers. Our brethren have discouraged our hearts. The point is that most often it can be the people closest to you who are the sources of greatest discouragement to you. And you've got to be prepared for that. It doesn't mean they're evil. It doesn't mean that they are of the devil. But it does mean that sometimes well-intentioned, as a close friend or family member, I may say something to someone to counter what they're thinking without praying about it myself, without thinking about what I'm saying, without thinking about what I'm doing, and just casually say to them, I think that's a mistake. I think that's stupid. I think if you do that, you would be a total nimcompoop for whatever your words are. And without even realizing it, at that moment, that person is trying to take a step of faith. That person is trying to recognize what God is doing in their life, and they have reached a conclusion, and they're going to take a step of faith. And without praying about it, without being sensitive to what God is doing, I, I throw something out there, and I just suck all of the faith out of their heart. I just suck all of the courage out of their heart. And who's doing it? The brother. The brother's doing it. I tell you what, we live in a world that's so harsh and mean and cruel and critical and wants to destroy the church and destroy God's people. Whose side are you on? Your battle is this. It is determining what God has said and hanging on to that and not listening to any other voice at that point. You've got to be careful to know that this is what God is saying. But then you've got to press forward and don't let fear or discouragement dissuade you. You know, um, I brought with me something here. I don't know if you can see this in the lights. I'll turn it this way. Maybe you can figure out what it is. What is this? Anybody know? A VHS tape. You know, some of us record digitally on our TVs and we still say, hey, I just taped that show for tonight. And there's no tape involved. But, but we're a generation that's seen so many changes. And so a lot, of, uh, a lot of us are recording things digitally on our phones and that sort of thing. We record video. And then we, uh, we had digital tape, and then we had VHS tape, analog tape, like this. And um, some of our early kids' uh, videos are on, on this kind of stuff, and I haven't converted it all, but we got it. 
And uh, in fact, this is one. If I could play it for you, you'd see some very cute kids singing in a church choir thing. And, um, and then we've got older tape that, of, of me learning to ride a bike. Now, it's a different kind of tape. It was called Super 8. And regular 8. And cave drawings on the wall. <laughs> and uh, we've got one. I, I didn't convert it or bring it to show you, and you can all thank Jesus for that. But I, it's a picture of me learning to ride a bike and, and um, my dad holding the back of the bicycle. And, uh, and I would pedal, and he would let go, and I would go down each time. And it's painful to watch. It's, I think someone would be arrested today if they saw this, this film. And so eventually the, the, the tape goes on. It's, it's a movie. It's, not, it's a sound. There's no sound. And, and you're seeing this kid fall, 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 fall. It's like a gag reel. And then finally he starts getting to where he can go 10, 15 feet on his bike. And, and he stops because he doesn't know how to stop by colliding with the garage door. And, um, and it, goes, it goes on. And, and fortunately, whoever the videographer was continued to record the event because it got to where I could ride without falling and without running into garage doors. Now, I remember some of that. And like the film, I play the video in my head. I can, I can rerun it. I can rerun it. You know, some of you today are 30, 40, 50 years old, and you are still playing the same videos or audio tracks of things that people said and did to you when you were in the first grade. Somebody said, well, you're a dummy. And you said, well, I guess I'm a dummy. Um, you're not very smart. And you said, well, I guess I'm not very smart. You'll never amount to anything. And you keep playing that over and over again and thinking, well, I'll never amount to anything. And if you're a person who struggles with that, you've got to come back again and again to what God has said in his word. And the truth about me is not what someone else says. The truth about me is what God has said. And so if I'm going to fight against fear and discouragement, I need to recognize that these turning points, the only choice I have is not just to obey God, but whether or not I'm going to believe God. And by the way, that's true of every church in this country. God has a plan for every church, for Wynn Baptist Church. And whenever a church chooses to be serious about reaching the lost, they're going to be fighting a battle with fear and discouragement. Write it down. And you're going to have a majority report. You're going to have the ten spies who are going to say, we can't do it. And then you're going to have others that say, God has said we can do it. Let's get up and go and go do it. And so as you and I navigate the turning points of our lives, be clear on what God is saying. Expect a fight against fear and discouragement. Number three, protect and monitor the condition of your heart. Protect and monitor the condition of your heart. Uh, the people are voicing fear and discouragement at this moment in their lives. The source are the ten spies and their evil report. But this is coming from somewhere. They've heard it. They've got the information. But it's, it's coming from somewhere. They're, they're complaining. They're, they're voicing their fear and their discouragement. It's coming from somewhere. Where is it coming from? It's coming from their heart. 
And so it's absolutely vital that, that as you choose to do God's will, that you monitor what's going on in your heart, that you pay attention to your thoughts, you pay attention to your emotions. Moses describes this in Deuteronomy 1, verse 27. He says, and you complained in your tents, not out there where everybody else is, but in your tents, the most intimate part of your life. You turned to your spouse and you said, I, I think that there's a problem here. And, and she said, I think there's a problem too. And you've got to be so careful that when God has spoken to you, you know God has spoken, that you be careful, even at home, in what you say. Because it affects your spouse, it affects your children, it affects your grandchildren, it affects your friends. It affects the heart. And you complained in your tents, that's where it began. And what were they saying in the tent? Because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Good grief. Since they complained, their perception of the experience was bad. God says, you're about to go into the promised land. You should be rejoicing. 400 years, the fathers, your fathers and your grandfathers and your father's fathers have all waited for this moment, and you are about to be the generation that gets what God promised. They said, no, God hates us. God hates us. The greatest thing that God ever had planned for them, they interpreted it as an act of hate on the part of God. Their perception of the experience was bad because the Lord hates us. Their perception of God went bad. He doesn't love me. He must hate me because I'm in this moment. This terrible thing is happening. I have to make this choice, this decision, and I didn't plan it. I didn't expect to be at this moment. And so God must hate me. He has brought us out, and then he says, why? To destroy us. The perception of his purpose had gone bad. God didn't bring them out to destroy them. He brought them out so that they could have life, so that they could have abundance, so that they could have good things and blessings. The greatest spiritual danger you face is the hardening of your heart to the voice of God. You know, there are two places in the Bible where this event at Kadesh Barnea is commented on and interpreted. One is Psalm 95. The other is Hebrews chapter 3. And in fact, in Hebrews 3, it grabs Psalm 95 and it wraps it all together. It quotes it. Here's what it says. This is the writer of Hebrews commenting and explaining the significance of Kadesh Barnea. Hebrews 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice. By the way, if there's any question in your mind whether or not God wants to speak to you, that verse should just settle it. Today, if you hear his voice. The Holy Spirit is saying this, he says. Today, if you, you, you hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial or testing, in the wilderness, and you harden your heart by not being tender or sensitive to what God is saying to you. Where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was angry with that generation, and, they, and said they always go astray, where? In their heart, 
That's where the problem is. And they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. What was the rest? The promised land. I don't know how you think of your life or imagine your life. Maybe, maybe you have this idea that when I got saved, what God wanted to do was be my big helper and co-pilot. Oh, God, I got a problem here. Would you give me a hand? And, and if that's the perspective you have on what it means to be a Christian, you've got some growing to do. Because when he rescued you, he rescued you so that you would become his. And he has a plan for your life, one that he's working out. This is true of every person in this room. He has a plan. And there are turning points in your life when you come to that moment where it makes all the difference in what becomes of your life. And these guys, this whole generation, they had experienced so much with God, but they came right up to the edge. We call it Kadesh Barnea. They came right up to that spot. And, and God was saying, go in. And fear and discouragement tore them and their faith and just shredded it, and they stepped back, and they said, we're not going to do it. And at that point, God was ready to wash his hands of that whole generation. I mean, just let a plague or something come in there, just wipe them all out. Moses interceded because he knew the true heart of God, and he interceded for them, and he didn't wipe them out. But i tell you what happened. Those ten spies dropped dead that day. The ten spies didn't survive for 40 years. But, but because of what they did and the effect that they had on a whole generation of people. And so, and so that moment comes, and there is, you've got to hear this, there is, when you back away and you say, I'm going to shrink back, which is the book of Hebrews is all about that, I'm not going to take the step of faith, I'm going to step back, that you've got to understand that the losses that you are going to suffer are real. And it's not just a loss in eternity. They never lost their relationship with God, but they lost the thing that God had in mind for them to make their life count. It's lost. Forever. Some of the people got the idea. They said, oh, we have messed up. Let's go back now. Let's try again. Let's go into the promised land. Moses said, you're wasting your time, guys. And they did it anyway, and of course they got a beat down. And then they finally started listening to Moses again, and they went back into the wilderness for 40 years. And every person 20 years of age and older lost and died in the wilderness. They were still the people of God, but they lost something that God had in mind for them. You say, that is absolutely frightening. Look at what the writer says next in verse 12. Beware, brethren. Not beware the lost people in the world who don't have a clue who God is. He says, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. I want to read this statement. It's in your notes. Every disobedience, every disobedience is an act of unbelief that damages your ability to experience a living God. What can we learn from this New Testament commentary on Deuteronomy? Turning points, when I wrongly respond to them, has a way of dulling my sensitivity to God. I need to monitor my heart 
If I'm going to monitor my heart, I need to fill my mind with truth. How do you think you do that? How do you think you fill your mind with truth? You can't get enough of God's word when you understand this. I need to fill my mind with truth. I need to turn down the volume of everything else. All the other voices in my world, they may even be good voices, but I need to fill my mind with truth and in that way monitor my heart. How's my heart responding to the truth? Am I, am I rejoicing in the truth? Am I believing the truth? Is my faith growing as I understand more about who God is? I need to monitor my heart. Or is my heart weak in faith? Am I fearful? Am I always discouraged? I need to get the awe back in my daily life. When I spend time alone with God in the morning, I need to have a sense, and I'm not just reading uh, words in an old book, but that I'm meeting with an awesome God. I need to get the awe back even in my workplace. I need to get the awe back in my normal, ordinary conversations, recognizing that as I look people in the eye, I'm dealing with a, an eternal soul, and, and how does God want me to treat this person? How does God want me to respond to this person? How does God want me to talk to this person? Maybe there's a way I can minister to them, a way I can care for them. But I need to monitor those things and regain a sense of awe that God is present. And not be caught up with all the things that distract us from Him. When that moment comes, and I recognize it's a serious decision, I need to treat it with awe. This is a sacred and a holy decision. And I don't want to miss anything that God has for me. Keep your heart tender towards the Lord. Finally, be clear on what God is saying. Expect a fight against fear and discouragement. It's going to come. Monitor and protect your heart. And then finally, number four, understand and embrace what God is pursuing in your life. Understand and embrace what God is pursuing in your life. This is dependence on Him. See, a lot of times we get frustrated trying to figure out the will of God because we got, we got a different agenda than God does. God wants to bring you into a relationship with Him of dependence, and we want just to get an answer and go on. We just want to do the next thing and move forward. But He wants to draw us in. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 29, listen to what Moses says. Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. How many times does he have to say this? The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God. How do you battle fear, discouragement? How do you, how do you navigate through this, this moment? I need to understand what God is doing. You see, every turning point, yes, it, it affects my life. The turning point affects the trajectory of my life. For years to come, it's a serious decision. But it's also something where God is teaching me. He wants me to learn something about him. He wants to take what I know of him, what I'm learning about him, and he wants me to apply it to the decision. He is showing me some things about himself and about what he wants for me. And so in that moment, I need to respond to the lesson, to refuse to learn what he's teaching me will almost guarantee 
that I'm going to have to learn it again later. That's why so many times things that you thought you were finished with, you are really not finished with yet. And you find yourself in the same situation again, and sometimes again, and sometimes again and again. God wants to teach you and grow you and change you, not just give you the answer to the next step. And so if I refuse, I'm liable to have to learn it again. Well, that's what the wilderness wandering was all about. Yes, it was a penalty for disobeying God at Kadesh Barnea, but it was more than that. God was not finished with his people. They were losing something. They had lost something, but God was not finished with them. Look at verses, um, chapter 8, Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 and 3. This will be on the screen too. They're still his people, and they're still learning. Uh, They lost their opportunity, but not their relationship with God. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you. Why? To know what was in your heart. Now, he already knew what was in their heart, so he was exposing something to them, to teach them something. To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So what is he doing? Am I going to trust God or me? And he's fighting and crushing independence, the spirit of independence. I don't need God I can make my own decisions. I don't need his direction, don't need his guidance. I know what's best for me. He's fighting that independence. Goes on in verse 3. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know, something to learn, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of, of the Lord. He's fostering what? A dependence on the Word of God. So why do we go through Pete and repeat in our lives over and over again? Because I have refused some direction. I've refused to learn. And so what does he do? He takes 40 years to teach them. They could have done it in 11 days. But it took them 40 years to learn. Now let me say this before I go and, and finish this with the bottom line. When you and I pray about direction from God and we're making decisions, you and I tend to be, and this is true of me, true of every person, I tend to just want the answer. God, what do you want me to do? I'll I'll do it. Just tell me what you want me to do. And yet, the truth is God is interested in my relationship with him. And, And so I've got to know that he is teaching me and he is drawing me in and because he loves me and he wants a relationship with me. And I said something at the very beginning. I want to repeat again. God is far more interested in your future than he is your past. You may, at this point, be very tempted. It would be very natural after reading about these people to say, I must have done that. I must have done that. At some point in my life, I must have come to a Kadesh Barnea and I must have failed because my life right now feels like I'm just wandering in the wilderness. Okay? Can, I, can I ask you very gently as your pastor and a brother, would you just put that away? That is not what I believe God wants you to hear at this moment. I think he wants you to hear that there are further moments coming. There are turning points that yet remain. The only place you can live the rest of your life is coming. It's in the future. It's not now. It's not in the past. It's, it's in the future. And so as those turning points are approaching you, 
Can you prepare for them? Yes. Uh, By taking every decision and setting it before the Lord. Can you prepare for those things now? Yes, by learning all I can about the Lord, drawing near to Him, discovering who He is, and then when that moment comes, saying, yeah, I know what I need to do. I need to apply what I know of God to this decision, and I believe this is what would please the Lord. But don't get consumed dwelling on the past, because He is not. All of us have things in our past we wish we could do over, right? Amen? Amen. But He is all about wiping out our sins, wiping out our past and everything that was not right in our lives. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And there's not a thing that you can do about those things in your past. But there's a whole lot you can do about 2016. Here's the bottom line. The difference between an 11-day journey and 40 years of wandering in the wilderness is a choice to never settle for less than God's best for your life. Never settle for less than God's best. I want everything he has in mind for me. You share that desire? As a church, I want everything he has in mind for Wind Baptist Church. And our tendency is to think, well, what God wants is this big. And you need to know that what God wants for your life and for, for my life and for this church is far bigger than we can accomplish on our own. And we can't do it without him. And we need him. And so, have you settled? Is there some place in your life where you're settling for less than God's best? Do you know he's calling you, drawing you, leading you to someone, something, someplace, some decision? I tell you the starting place, if you want God's best, The starting place is to take your life, to be really truthful about your past, your sin, everything you've done on your own without God, to be truthful about how you have done your own thing and all you've created is hardship, ruin, pain, hurt for yourself and others. You take all those things that we call sin and you come to him and you tell him, I'm sorry, and Father, I'm going to trust that what Jesus did for me on the cross was die for my sins. Everything I've ever done that was offensive to you. And I'm putting my trust in Jesus to forgive my sin and then to change me. We call that being born again. We call that being saved We call that putting our trust in Christ. And whatever that needs to be in terms of your language today, I want to invite you to that because that is your Kadesh Barnea this morning. If you've never trusted Christ, wherever you are in the balcony or the aisles, I want to invite you to come boldly into a new place that God is calling you to. To trust Christ, to trust Him, to save you, to to deliver you from sin in your life, to deliver you from all those mistakes that you have yet to make, but that you could be spared if you would trust him. And so I want to invite you to come. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and I'm going to invite you. There'll be pastors standing here. I'll be here at the front. And we invite you to come. Just talk to us. We're really not scary people. A couple of the guys are a little rough, but, but they're really nice guys when you get to know them. 
and they will listen to you and they'll answer your questions if you still have questions. They'll share scripture with you where you can read it for yourself. You don't have to take our word for it. And they'll help you enter into this relationship with God that he's offering you today. Some of us as Christians, we've been Christians so long, we take for granted that we think we know all the answers and we know what we're supposed to do. And, and yet it's been a long time since we can look back to a specific moment and say, I trusted the Lord today. And, and for some of us, what we need to do is come in a fresh way and just surrender to him. And say, Lord, I'm sorry that I have been holding on to the, the steering wheel of my life. And Father, today in a fresh way, I want to come and give you the control, give you the direction, give you the reins of my heart. Because when you and I are hanging on like that, don't you know that God has some things he wants to teach you, and if you're hanging on real tight to the control of your life, that some of those lessons this year aren't going to be much fun. And Why be stubborn? Release the control of your life to him. Say, God, whatever you want from me, count me in. I'm in. I want to be like those two guys that said we can do it. I don't want to be like the ten that were afraid. Let me ask you to bow your head and to close your eyes. We don't want to harden our hearts. We want to be sensitive to him today. Father, we thank you for your word that is like honey at times. It's sweet to our taste. At other times, it's like a hammer. And Father, right now, I know all over this room, your Holy Spirit is applying your word in hundreds of ways that we never even dreamed possible but I know that you're speaking. And Father, for each one that is hearing, I pray, Father, that they would choose immediately to be responsive and sensitive in their heart to your voice. For we ask it in Jesus' name.